Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I just got a text from my wife that my dog came through surgery well. They removed as much as they could of the tumor, sending it for tests. We pick them up this afternoon. Um, yeah, as much as they could. That's the problem. He's got a, a cancerous growth, which is too close to, you know, arteries and nerves and that sort of thing in his chest slash throat to, to get all of it. So we'll see. They'll send it off for tests. That's the beautiful and tragic thing about dogs is they're just a chapter of your life. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, how, you know, if a person lived to 90, and, you know, the average dog's life is, I mean, if you average big breeds, small breeds, dogs that get lucky and have long, healthy lives, dogs that get unlucky, like it, it looks like maybe Baxter is because he's just nine and a half. Um, if you average it out, what do you think, folks? Uh, 11 years, just on average, dog's life, something like that? Um, you know, if you live to be 90 years old, that means in the space of your life, you could have eight dogs one after the other and and you'd have the the joy and frustration of puppyhood and the wonderful companionship and the, you know everything that makes dogs special if you have dogs you love dogs i don't need to explain it to you and if if you don't then you know i'm not sure what point it would be for me to draw it on and on about it but the the wonder that that a dog is um and then you have the you know the melancholy and 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 ultimately very sad part where you have to say goodbye um and uh, that's just inevitable. It's it's part of the love affair, I guess. So we're just coming to grips with the fact that, you know, we may be moving a little prematurely into the, the sad part of it. But, you know, life goes on, and, and you got to be grateful for the, the joy they bring. So anyway, I'll move on before I get all verklempt. Mm-mm-mm. You want transition music? Uh, yeah, Michael. Do you have transition music? <laughs> Is there kind of like a guy going, yo, yo, in there? So is this like hip-hop yodeling? Yep. I'll be damned. Do they listen to this anywhere? I mean, is this like the number one song in Switzerland or something? I'm not aware. I should tell him to turn it off, but I find it fascinating. Let me take a drink of ice water. Hang on. You know, this part is just odd. It's when he starts clucking like a chicken. Difficult to justify. And then he's got his hype man behind him, the Yolo Meister. All right, turn it off. Now he's singing at us. He's clucking like a chicken. He's yodeling like a yodeler. I don't know what to make of it. So we were talking about this uh, this guy who went to Campbell High School in the uh, the Bay Area, California, and he's talking about uh, he's done a deep dive into some of the researches, this wokest of the woke, um, although increasingly typical-ish high school are, are, are doing. And, uh, and my God, it's shocking. We, last segment we, we started, but there's more to be said. 
So the district's equity resources page is just the most visible result of a series of steps in support of critical race theory that started long ago. In fact, the district was a testing ground for critical race theory before it spread throughout the nation. Back in 2018, the book Research Studies on Educating for Diversity and Social Justice described the process. An entire chapter written in part by his former teacher is dedicated to discussing how critical race theory was used at my high school so it could be replicated. And again, again... The New York Times, your 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 superintendent, the teacher says, no, we don't teach critical race theory. That's an obscure law school doctrine that's taught at Harvard about the historical blah, blah. No, 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 no. Different people have come up with different terms for it. It's critical race theory writ large. It's the social justice, white supremacy, tear everything down. White people are bad garbage. You can call it anything you want. But they are teaching it. So the book noted that the use of the theory saying, uh, noted the use of the theory saying, quote, CRT is used here to centralize the discussion of race and racism at Branham High School. This is Campbell, California. It went on to describe an equity advisory class that this writer was placed in as a sophomore where, quote, students learn about the different types of oppression along with the privilege it affords the oppressors. So your white children are being taught they are oppressors. The authors hoped their tactics would spread, writing, quote, the intent behind sharing the process Branham underwent is to provide what a model that it could be followed by other schools across the nation. Schools Board of Trustees support this agenda, recently offering unanimous support, unanimous, for a resolution resolving to, quote, dismantle institutionalized racism in our society and our school district and being committed to implicit bias training, ethnic studies, and resources that foster dialogue along among the I'm sorry, around the guiding principles of hashtag Black Lives Matter. Note the district's adoption of the term equity rather than equality. Superintendent Robert Bravo in a board meeting said he believes equity is about equity of outcomes. So if you have to, and this has been a big story in the last several days, if you have to eliminate the chance for any child to achieve advanced mathematics training, Because you see, wow, it's like uh, two-thirds of the kids are white in this class. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We can have equality of outcome if we make it impossible for anybody to excel. And so woke high schools like uh, this one and and probably your kids, if your kids are in high school, are, are enacting this plan, which has caused an absolute uh, poo storm of revolt from Math scholars around the country, an open letter just got published by 600 science, technology, engineering, and mathematics professionals who said the California Department of Education's proposed new math framework that does what I described. It virtually eliminates any chance to get ahead in math. It squashes everybody down into the same slow-moving basic math. These scientists and mathematicians are all saying it will make it much, much more difficult for students to succeed in STEM at college. The signatories also condemned the California Department of Education's deeply worrisome trend of favoring trendy but shallow courses like data science over essential mathematical tools like calculus and algebra. Subjecting the children of our state, of the largest state, to such an experiment is the height of irresponsibility, they said, among other things. Far from being deliberately held back, all students should have the opportunity to be nurtured and challenged to fulfill their potential. This is not only for their own benefit, but also for society and the nation's economic competitiveness. I would agree completely. But 
<clears throat> at the woke high schools, they're rejecting that idea. And indeed, like this unbelievable superintendent, the woke Robert Bravo, is saying equity is about equity of outcomes. And he hasn't said out loud, but he would if you asked him, if you gave him a sodium pentothal, he would say, and if that means we have to undermine the achievement of Asian children, we're going to do it. If that means we have to crush the opportunities for white children, we're going to do it. This uh, this Campbell Unified School District even established an anti-racism team, which is divided into AD equity teams that include teachers, principals, administrators, and even two students who must be BIPOC, black, indigenous, or people of color. That means white students are banned from the equity teams. They're tasked with challenging imbalances of power and privilege, among other roles. Um, Michael Espinoza, member of one such equity team, teacher at Branham High School, won the district's Teacher of the Year Award. The Teacher of the Year. There's tape of him calling Native American tribes the rightful stewards of the lands our schools and district offices stand on, telling teachers to recognize the power of critical race theory and use it in our lesson plans. He also gave a speech to the class of 2021 where he levied left-wing complaints against America and quoted Huey Newton, the Black Panthers imploring students to engage in revolution instead of conforming to the machine that is the United States. On his Instagram account, Espinoza celebrates mandates for ethnic studies classes and complains of living under white supremacist heteropatriarchal rule in a plea to his co-conspirators. Wow! Wow! This is just crazy! And if you think it's limited to the Bay Area, California, man, you're deluded. That's so nuts. So nuts. I hope people are starting to wake up to this stuff. But, I mean, you remember that uh, that Antifa teacher in the Sacramento area who said, you know, we get, uh, we get well, what did he say, six months with these kids to turn them into revolutionaries. Well, he was in place for years. This Campbell High School has been doing this for at least three, four years and maybe longer. How many hundreds, thousands of kids have they indoctrinated already? How long is it going to take to straighten them out and let the the reality and uh, and the and, and the truth of the beauty and wonder of this country, in spite of all of our faults, how long is it going to be to take that to take that to get into their consciousness? Who knows? But man, that is just just cuckoo nuts, absolutely cuckoo nuts. Everything woke turns to sh. So the leader of uh, South Korea wants to take the Pope with him to North Korea to talk Kim Jong-un into giving up warfare. I wish him well in that uh, rather odd plan. We've got a quick look back at Jussie Smollett and Biden-Putin round one. Round two? Round one. The recap of that coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The White House did not divulge specifics of the sanctions package, but said Biden made no concessions, including on President Putin's request to block Ukraine from joining NATO. Instead, the U.S. is preparing economic punishments with European allies. Members of Congress were briefed by the White House, including on one measure so strong, Western allies opted not to use it, even after Russia took Crimea in 2014. Not business as usual, not the usual kinds of sanctions, but uh, as far as we can possibly go with sanctions, deny the entire international banking system to uh, the Russians and things like that. 
And the president also said, look, if you're honestly freaked out about NATO and Ukraine or stuff we're doing, let's uh, have high-level folks talk about it. Come on now, Pooter. So they left it at that. What the future brings, nobody knows, really. Um, I just took a hydrocodone. Hydrocodone. Mm-hmm. I was going to try to avoid the heavy narcotics, but uh, my body is telling me that's a pretty good idea. So if I start flying and reciting Jimi Hendrix lyrics, that's what's going on here. Please, roll tape. It'll be, be kind of fabulous. I saw Chris Christie spoke at a big dinner the other night called the Gridiron Club. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a time-honored uh, gathering, I guess. There's Chris Christie and uh, some guy named Jamie Raskin, who I barely know. Anyway, Chris Christie said, um, when President Joe Biden couldn't make it, he did, he did think about inviting Vice President Kamala Harris, Chris Christie is saying to Jamie Raskin, but Biden decided it would be redundant given that Jamie and I are here, here to have three people who are never going to be president speak. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. A little, <laughs> uh, little self-deprecation from the big man there. Yeah, but just that whole narrative of, on both sides, of Kamala Harris is never going to be president. What a weird situation our country is in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, in the high school that is Washington, D.C., it's a big high school. She is so on the outs. She is so uncool. And it's just so weird. I mean, if you don't haven't been following this your whole life, this hasn't happened in American history. Where you got a sitting president everybody assumes is not going to run, and the vice president is not even a chance. Right. And the other side's wide open. Is so clearly a washout within the first eight months that, because uh, this is going back away, is that uh, nobody even takes seriously the idea of the yeah. Veep even running. That's going to be wild, but it's several years away. So, some blue checkmark professor person from a hoity toity professor uh, started a conversation yesterday on Twitter. December 23rd should be National Testing Day, where we ever get every American tested that day and uh, mentioned all the different. Public and private groups should band together to make sure that the whole country could get tested. Another uh, super smart thinker responded to that, and I thought this was an interesting way to look at the whole pandemic thing. I'm guessing that a lot of our listeners would agree with that. Mass testing is not a way out. It's not a strategy at all. It's, in fact, the single thing that's keeping us locked into a non-strategy. Mass testing is a hamster wheel, and the only way to get off of it is to stop running. I implore all the wonk-brained technocrats to please start from the end game and work backward. The end game is endemic COVID. It will circulate. There will be cases, variants, more cases. Everyone will encounter COVID. So what will your mass testing regime accomplish? Who will you save by identifying asymptomatic COVID before Christmas dinner? Your triple-vaxxed mother-in-law? Your eight-year-old nephew who's at no risk and will inevitably encounter it eventually anyway? Economists talk a lot about the long run. We are in the long run now. Whatever we are doing today needs to be sustainable forever. COVID is now a background risk of life. Thanks to vaccines, boosters, and natural immunity, that risk is manageable. Mass testing is a policy in denial. It denies that COVID has a long run, endemic equilibrium. It treats COVID as a novel foreign threat that we continue to resist indefinitely. It is not novel, and we can't fight it indefinitely. If you as an hilarious is the idea of zero COVID at this point. If you as an individual feel more comfortable swabbing your nose every morning before you enter the world, then by all means, you are more than welcome to do so. But as a top-down strategy, mass testing is nothing but denialism. COVID is now a background threat, a part of your life and mine. Counting cases and testing asymptomatic individuals takes that background threat and makes it highly, highly salient. 
It contributes to ongoing anxiety and sets unrealistic expectations for the future. That's the hamster wheel of mass testing that we're all on right now. Furiously running, pretending like we're getting somewhere, but we're not. There is no next phase. This is it. Just stop running, accept the background threat, and move on without fear. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. And what is infinitely clear, and if you want to take one more week to assess the data on Omicron, go ahead. But what is increasingly clear is that uh, young people should be exposed like crazy. Have them Take off the damn masks. If your eight-year-old gets the Omicron at school, hallelujah, it's the best thing that could happen. Seems to be even milder than the variants that didn't affect kids anyway. So, yeah, get it. To, everybody should get it and then move on. Don't test anybody for anything unless they show up at the doctor's office and they're feeling sick. God, can we move on from this? Right. The hamster wheel. He's absolutely right. It is an, It is going to be endemic. It's going to be around forever. Everybody seems to recognize that. Well, that's, we're in that phase now. Let's jump to it. Let's quit acting like we're going to get a handle on this or something. Well, and I say this uh, not cavalierly, but uh, I like that, uh, that little uh, mini paragraph about who you're trying to save. Your, uh, your triple vaccinated grandma, your nine-year-old who's you know, at no risk anyway, the unvaccinated, they've made that decision. And, and they have announced loudly in defiance of like their employers and, and in my mind, maybe even common sense, but you do whatever you want to do. They've announced loudly that I'm not taking it. Fine. Let's move on. Oh boy. The hard drugs from my gallbladder surgery have kicked in. The hydrocodone is kicked in. Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Oh, nice. Nice. And I'm seeing colors everywhere. Oh, this is fantastic. Are you going to hug people next? Please, no. Oh, Lord. Just start running around hugging people. Oh, no. This is what we feared. DEFCON 3. DEFCON 3. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Also in court today, a tense moment. Justice Smollett interrupted Special Prosecutor Dan Webb as Webb was reading verbatim one of Smollett's messages that had the N-word in it. Smollett asked Webb to spell the N-word aloud out of respect for African Americans in the room. Webb quickly complied and asked Smollett to read his own messages aloud. So to uh, to drill down on that point, uh, the prosecutor's reading his own text messages, drops an N-bomb, and Justin's like, whoa, whoa, no, wait, you can't do that. Out of respect to the black people in the room. He's reading your words in a trial. I think it's extra special and cute that a guy who's accused of, justifiably in my mind, uh, perpetrating a race-baiting, whipping-up race-hate hoax to enhance its own career, who drops N-bombs, now is aghast at it and demanding nobody else to. That's something. Just too much. So here is what Jussie Smollett is asking the jury to believe. He's buddies with these uh, Osindaro brothers. They, they're like his weight trainers, and he's buddies with them. One of them, he gets together with uh, at the uh, the gay clubs. Uh, they uh, enjoy a little uh, mutual release. And a couple of days later, after they are partying together, these two brothers decide that Jussie needs a beating for being a gay fella, even though one of them is a gay fella, except he denies he's a gay fella. Anyway, so what they decide to do 
if it is indeed these two guys, because Jesse brought up, well, one of them was kind of pale, and these two Nigerian brothers are a lot of things, but pale is not one of them. Um, so here's the plot that they unleashed. Here's what we do. We call Jesse in the wee hours of the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, and we tell him, as part of your training... You need to eat eggs. Yeah. Yeah. This is, by the way, this is what Smollett claimed on the stand. Yeah. You need to go out and get some eggs and a Subway sandwich at two o'clock in the morning, even though it's bitterly life threateningly cold in Chicago right now. And, 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 okay. So you go get some eggs. And Jesse says, okay, I'm on my way. I'll go get some eggs. And then these Nigerian brothers, these nefarious sons of bitches that they are, they say, all right. He's out. He's on his way for his wee morning bitterly cold eggs. Let's go put on MAGA hats and just beat him slightly. We're just barely, barely, barely going to beat him. But we'll throw a noose around his neck. We'll threaten him to bleach him, which would totally ruin his designer clothes. And then we'll (laughs) run away into the night, having beaten him, but barely, barely, barely. Because we hate him so much. Even though one of us is willing to have sex with him. That's right. Exactly. So, Kyle Smith in the New York Post is very funny. Very funny. Not since Rumpelstiltskin as a mischievous troll sent so much time, spent so much time and energy spinning as Jesse Spikon. I actually dropped a BS bomb. Hope you enjoyed that on the, uh, the web, everybody. <laughs> I meant to say bull spit. Oh my God. Anyway, he was spinning. Think a bull- of the children. He was, they hear worse than that on the schoolyard 50 times a day. So he was spinning bull spit into testimony. So anyway, we described kind of what, um, uh, what he's alleging that his buddies decided to enact one of the world's most over-examined hate crimes using not just the N-word, but the F-word, carrying the symbolic, symbolic bottle of bleach, symbolic noose. Black guys do this to other black guys all the time. Writes Kyle. Gay guys do this to other gay guys all the time. But at the same time, at 2 o'clock in the morning, on a frigid, frigid night? According to Smollett, his attackers are both the most industrious hate crime criminals in history and also the laziest, having run away after what Smollett said was a 30-second onslaught without even bothering to rob him or leave him with any injuries requiring more treatment than the smallest Band-Aid in the box. <laughs> The prosecutor asked him about his injuries, and he said, well, look, I've still got, you can kind of see like a little bruise under my eye. And if you've seen the pictures right after the crime, it looked like a guy like woke up and rubbed his eyes too hard. And that's it. Uh, and so Cal Smith goes on to write, and who yells, this is MAGA country, which is uh, what was alleged. Who yells, "What is this is MAGA country in Chicago. You might as well shout, who wants to sing selections from Gypsy at the Talladega <laughs> Super Speedway? If you're really blinded by hate, you don't need to flash so many indicators to any onlookers. You just pull the tab on your can of whoop-ass and get to work. <laughs> but that's not what he did. Then there's a whole thing where they white. He told the cops they were white. Now he's claiming, well, white or pale. I don't know that they were white. And he said, that's the responsible thing to do. I don't want to assume they're white. Yes, inclusivity is important when you're alleging a heinous attack. And you wouldn't want light-skinned people of other races to feel marginalized. Unbelievable. And He's the, a whack job, isn't he? He's a yeah. good-looking whack job. He's a good-looking dope, I think, and or whack job. And it's difficult sometimes to... Uh, 
Oh, and I have an analysis of why he took the stand and why he took this to trial. That's pretty good in just a second. But uh, I just love this line. The men who carried out the middle school talent show version of a fake hate crime, (laughs) the Osindaro brothers, are Nigerian and not particularly pale. So that alone was a false statement to police uh, made many times. Um, So anyway. Uh, the three reasons why Jussie Smollett chose to go to trial, according to JT. Uh, from his point of view, it might be worth the risk uh, based on these three possible explanations. Oh, and I've seen several legal experts weigh in on his testimony and the idea of him taking the stand, and they all say, oh, disaster. He could find one soft-headed juror, but he did himself no good. But anyway, so JT says he might be looking for an O.J. Simpson outcome. Uh, court watchers and jurors may think he's guilty, but willing to cut him some slack based on extraneous feelings. In Smollett's case, he's relying on the hope that people will believe the fake attack was based on real threatening racist letters he received. You remember that? Um, two, he believes that uh, his side and peers will never, never convict him because even though this attack was fake, everyone in his circle just knows that Trump supporters are violent racists, and it could have happened. Uh, remember, originally, the prosecutors dismissed all the charges against Smollett. Uh, as Dan Rather claimed to the end, his fake news attack on Bush was based on fake documents, but the story was true. So Smollett might actually believe the story of victimhood will, victimhood will overpower the facts of his fake attack. And possibility number three, he's just an idiot. Anybody stupid enough to hatch this amateur hour hoax is stupid enough to believe he'll come out on top. For a guy, it seemed like his life was going pretty good. I don't know why you decided to do this. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been that handsome, talented, nor dumb, so I'm not sure how his brain works. But um, maybe we'll he, maybe he just pictured himself just being like a a national focal point of uh, everything that is anti-Trump, and he's like yes, you know, cheered at award shows and goes around giving speeches and stuff like that. Well, and I've, I've said thousands of times to be the victim is the highest form of life in America. If you can claim I was victimized, whether by a microaggression or just, you know, if you can't come with, uh, up with anything specific, you just claim this vague white supremacy or systemic racism. But if he can claim a horrific attack by, of course, Trump voters with MAGA hats and nooses and bleach shouting N-bombs and F-bombs because he's a gay fella. Well, I mean, my God, that's like some sort of hall of fame of victimhood. And I think in his pretty simple mind, um, I just think he thought that's the way to really vault to the top of uh, the American consciousness. And uh, Tucker Carlson was playing the highlights from Jussie's interview with Robin Roberts on Good Morning America and... uh Reminded just how over-the-top dramatic they were, the, the soft voices and the whispering, the barely choking back the tears over the hate crime and his and his bravery to stand up to it and everything like that. And uh, Robin Roberts asked him at one point, you know, why you think this happened? And he said, well, I, I came pretty strong at 45. I came pretty hard against 45, so I can see why this sort of thing would happen. And as Tucker Carlson pointed out, yeah, you and every single other person in the entertainment world didn't like Donald Trump. Not like you did some really brave act by coming out anti-Trump as an actor. Yeah, Big no kidding. freaking deal. Unbelievable. We have Middle school mongrels. That's right. Fear mongrels are who's claiming he perpetrated a, a hoax. We have these fear mongrels. 
middle school talent show version of a fake hate crime. Wow. Really bad. That's a pretty good description. Yeah. But it's up to the jury to decide, huh? Yeah, and I could see him getting off. I could absolutely see a hung jury for the reasons that JT mentioned. Just a whole, you know, if you're going to do some tribal virtue signaling, if you're in the uh, the woke tribe, you can't prosecute the guy. You just you can't bring yourself to do it. And trust me when I say some jurors are smart, conscientious, and serious, and some are just doofuses. Whoa. 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 You get in the jury room. How are you going to vote? Yeah. I don't know. A lot of Trump uh, Trump voters are mean. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Think all the other jurors. (laughs) This is going to be a long day. Here we go. Yeah. Are the closing arguments today? I think they might be. I don't know. I just wish there were cameras in the courtroom. Uh, We have an interesting development in Chinese wedding news. Among other things, we can finish strong with is we're we're well known for our big finish. Oh please, we kick to the finish line, then generally fall to our knees and vomit. But uh, our yeah. kick is well known, leaving it all on the field. Oh hell yeah, every bit. And that is next. Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. These devices, they're like tagging devices using GPS and Bluetooth technology, and they're using that to install on different vehicles that they, uh, they're looking to steal. By using an iPhone, they can always tell where the vehicle's location is, and then they can commit the theft on their watch, maybe later on in the, uh, at night, and it just always gives them you know, the location of where that vehicle is being stored at the time. We're talking Apple AirTags, Jack, introduced earlier this year. They're, they're, they're like the size of one of the bigger watch batteries, like the, that you buy the little disc batteries. But it's a tracking device that Apple introduced. You stick it on your, your iPad or your laptop or something you don't want to lose, and it's like, find my iPhone. But then thieves are using it. They see, like, uh, you know, a super high-end Mercedes or something. They stick it on there. Then they track it and wait till the people are home asleep in their beds. Then they go steal it. And the other thing I heard about this was stalkers are using it. Oh, boy. They're attaching it to their, you know, wife or girlfriend or whatever's car and trailing them and finding out where they are and the rest of it. Wow. Um, and Apple said they're going to work to make this, make it less usable for people. So that it, I, I can't remember... It, like, makes a beep after a certain amount of time to alert you that it's there. Mm. Or 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 it appears in that your devices. Sense. There's a tracker within X feet of you. If this is not your tracker, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I, I don't remember precisely, but they're aware there's a problem. Huh. Yeah, wow. I would have thought that was the coolest thing ever when I was a kid. Tracking devices that you could use, like you're a spy or something. Or a stalker. Um... China's got a demographic problem, which we've talked about many times over the years. So while they are the greatest threat to uh, decency and peace on the world stage, they are, uh, they're going backwards in people. And they had the lowest number of marriages this year that they've had in 13 years. Marriages have been on the decline for eight straight years, and they have the lowest number in 13 years this year. The main problem being there's a whole bunch of dudes and not enough chicks. So they're trying all these different policies to try to encourage people to get married, but you can encourage people to get married all you want, but if you got twice as many dudes as women, you're only going to have so many marriages. Just seems like a fact. 
the dudes can get married, but, you know. And I wish other? them health and happiness. But well, that ain't going to help your demographic problem, though. Cause not really, kids. not much. No, um, no, no. Well, generations have, of uh, abortions of girls because it's more prestigious to have a boy child during the one-child policy. That's exactly what happened. So decades yeah. of having boys but aborting girls? Jeez, just horrific. The country policy was that. Yeah. Um, they, they find themselves with a million more men than they've got women of ages 25 to 34, which is primary marrying age in China. And uh, as one uh, expert pointed out, there's no getting around the fact that a lot of men are going to stay single the rest of their lives. I mean, there's just, there ain't enough women. It's just, that'd be weird, to because we've always been roughly 50-50 in the United States. The idea that um, there's twice as many of me as there are of them, so i got to be in the top half to start with. Please. I mean, that's, that's Game fun. over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and there's nothing like a underemployed, lonely, angry, resentful uh, uh, seven figures or more, uh, nine figures or more of young males that'll uh, hurt your uh, your country, your society. That's not good. They have serious problems in China. That's weird. Yeah. What yeah, a I'd weird say. one, though. A weird self-created problem that they should have seen coming. How do you think people are going to get married and have kids in the future if everybody's only having boys there, uh, geniuses? Well, and I don't know what the timetable is going to look like, but we were talking about this a little bit earlier, how the uh, the American economy and the health care and the rest of it is has become so weighted toward more woman-friendly uh, employment that... You know, guys who were at least to a large extent employed in the trades and manufacturing and the rest for hundreds of years. Now those jobs don't exist. Um, you add that to in the next several years, maybe a couple of decades to China's demographic problems. I mean, that's going to be an explosive combination. Uh, I thought your story was so interesting about your uh, surgery yesterday, about how everybody you encountered was a woman. Yeah. And it just popped into my head at some point that absolutely everybody, start to finish, was a woman. The only dude I saw was a guy emptying trash. Um, you know, good for women, I guess. But can we can we finally declare that women have won the whole science STEM thing, or at least are competing? Do we need to continue to act like you know women can be doctors too? Yeah, show me a man anywhere who's a doctor or a nurse or anything. Armstrong and Getty, you have disappointed me for the last time. These are your final thoughts. Here's your host for final thoughts, Joe Getty. I get it. It's like a threat. Darth Vader, these are your final thoughts. Gotcha. You know, speak now or forever hold your peace. Uh, Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew. Michelangelo pressing the buttons in the control room, keeping us on the air. Michael, what's your final thought? Yeah, Jack's been on the radio this morning after gallbladder surgery. I've been running the show all morning with a small canker sore. We're tough people. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. Young Alex is our behind-the-scenes producer. Alex, a final thought? You know, I wanted to say something about Tiger Woods playing this weekend with his son in a tournament, but I wanted to wish my best wishes, Jack, on your recovery, and Joe, to your Baxter. Best wishes for everybody there. Thank you very much. Baxy boy is through surgery and doing okay, they say. They got what they could of the tumor. Oh, boy. Jack, do you have a final thought? Why do you have to wear those gowns at the hospital? And I don't, I don't like showing my junk to people I don't know. I know some of you do. I don't. 
And like every time you have to get down off the table and like no. go, go do something, you think, I'm just going to show the whole world everything I got. Is there any way we can avoid this? And like I said, it's all women, so it's all women around. I don't want to be showing my junk to women. No, I really boy. don't. No, no, that, that no. That was probably the most stressful thing I had yesterday was the number of times I showed my junk to strange women. Oh, boy. Oh, so my uh, final... That, keep that tape, Michael. Um, So my uh, my final thought has changed. I was reminded of my hip surgeries where not only was my surgeon a dude, but several of the guys, the operating room nurses and, and folks were dudes. Partly because with that sort of surgery, the first thing you have to do is dislocate the hip, mm. which evidently takes quite a bit of violence so evidently that realm of surgery is still open to fellows where they need a good strong back apparently you can be 102 pounds and take out a gallbladder so yeah please which i'm sure you can have you figured out how big your gallbladder is i know you want to keep it inflate it and use it as a toy with the kids i haven't nailed that down i'll try to figure out what the size is i don't know if it's big as a birthday balloon or your thumb or what I don't have any idea. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank so little time. I would order the AG swag for that loved one who's a fan of the show. They will be delighted. They will laugh as they get a Let's Go Brandon AG t-shirt. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. Order quick. Christmas is coming up. But we'll see you tomorrow with all the latest news. God bless America. Listen up, Jack Wagon. I want to hear this. I have no idea why you would do something like that. There's something happening out here. This could be the silver lining. Let's see that divine spark in each other, because it's there. Ah! <laughs> President Biden looked President Putin in the eye and told him today. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> and I'm not going to be a part of doing that. Because it will be a really bloody massacre. So stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.